Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Friday early as may be, take the fairest apple from a tree, then in thy blood on paper white, thy own name and thy true love's right, that apple thou in two shalt cut, and for its cure that paper put, with two sharp pins of myrtle wood, in the oven let it dry, and wrapped in leaves of myrtle lie. Hello Helena, what are you up to? My goodness, don't you look lovely today? Yes, it worked. I mean, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> of course, I haven't really done a spell on Martin. But today on the second Magic and Medicines episode of the Three Ravens podcast, we are going to be discussing the slightly morally dubious world of love spells. Fun, fun. I'm Eleanor Conlon and I've got all kinds of unsavoury and sometimes downright stinky magic to share. <laughs> and I'm joined as ever by my enchanting co-host, Martin Volks. Hello! Now, I've got to jump right in and say that any magic which is intended to affect or manipulate the will of others is definitely against my ethical codes. And it seems as though love magic is... Well, it's exactly that! <laughs> um, yeah, it features in spellbooks and texts and it's kind of everywhere through our culture... Absolutely. Well, to be loved is such a human desire, That's isn't it? True, Whether yeah. it's sexually or platonically, the need to be understood and completed is so fundamental. For sure, yeah. So much so that love spells are a staple feature of the kind of popular spell books you can even buy in the supermarkets yeah. now that magic in general has become more mainstream. Mm. I've got here the fourth edition of The Good Spell Book by Gillian Kemp, and the majority of the book is actually devoted to love magic. And I've got to ask, do the spells in there generally involve, you know, messing with other people's free will? <laughs> of the Wiccan read is harm none. Yeah. So modern love spells tend to be more about intentions, key correspondences like oils and crystals, mm. and working on your own self-confidence to strengthen your allure. But 
there are definitely a couple in here which seem to rely on magically infiltrating a potential partner's mind. <laughs> oh my so, so here's one here which involves piercing the skin of an onion uh -huh. with sharp pins and imagining that each prick puts a thought into your lover's mind. Oh, goodness me. Here it goes, ready? Uh -huh. It is not this onion I wish to stick but your mind and heart I wish to prick. Ooh. You'll think of me night and day until with words you arrive and say, I love you. Well, that's pretty non-ambiguous, that is. one. <laughs> and we're going to insert the standard three ravens. Don't say we didn't warn you if you try this at home, disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> now, from my perspective, I'm thinking there are lots of correspondences with romance in modern spell work. Um, I'm thinking about rose petals, uh, probably quartz crystals, mm. lavender oil, all that kind of thing. Now, I'm sure I remember reading a love potion recipe, which is basically just kind of a combination of those things. Yeah, and I mean, at the very least, you'd smell very nice. Well, maybe that's you? the plan. You know, my delicious lavender scent brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> Well, there's definitely been some research done into the aphrodisiac properties of certain scents, yeah. hasn't there? With uh, particular ingredients which are supposed to inspire lust. <laughs> Certainly that's that's the sense you get from some of those designer perfume names. Um, Allure, Lust, Musk Ravageur. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real one. I'm no, it is. There is a perfume called Musk Ravageur. Look ridiculous. it up. Ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe we're all just dabbing a little love potion behind our ears every morning. Yeah, but... Okay, love spells are not a new thing. Like, the idea is certainly figured in popular culture for a very long time. I'm thinking of, for example, Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, mm -hmm. where Oberon and Puck cast a spell on Titania to make her fall in love with Bottom in his ass form. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Tristan and Isolde, the plot hinges on a love potion. Actually, there's loads of it in opera as well, because there's there's Wagner's opera of Tristan, but there's also Le Lezier d'Amore by Donizetti, which and I'm relies on a potion. And I'm going to drag it down to earth. Features in Charmed, yes. in Practical Magic. There's obviously the popular song, Love Potion Number Nine. <laughs> yeah, I think we can definitely say that troubles of the heart span history and culture. Yeah. And, well, our ancestors were certainly a lot more creative in dealing with failed romances, unrequited love and the search for the one than we are today. Sure. A lot of hope was attached to spells, charms and magical objects in the past in the same way it's attached to dating apps now. Now I'm going to push the bridge of my glasses up my nose at this point in time and say one of the things that I find quite interesting about this is debates about the philosophy of love, which if you go back to ancient Greek writings of philosophy, um, you'll find that there's a lot of debate about what love even is mm, and different yes. forms of love yes so there's, there's like erotic desire eros yeah uh, there's of course uh filial love like the, the love of mm. friendships bonds in in those ways and then there's also agape the sacrificial love that perhaps a parent might feel for a child mm. or, or god is, is the theoretically yeah um demonstrating to mankind when he sacrifices his own son and himself um, in the crucifixion. So, yeah, you've got kind of those three, like that model of love. So when you think about love potions, they're often a little bit, in a way, in my mind, a bit sort of simplistic or blunt about what they're trying... What mm. kind of love are you after? What well, does yes. love even mean? You'd have to be very specific, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think it tends to be romantic and sexual love. Yeah, it's, it's that er erotic desire. And, OK, so if our listeners want an alternative to the magic of swiping right... <laughs> 
It's some kind of magic, I'm sure. Yeah, how can history inspire us? What can we learn? So, archaeologists have discovered cuneiform tablets dating from 2200 BC in what is now modern-day Iraq, featuring love rituals and details of erotic magic. So very old. Well, now that is significantly more interesting than what they found in the remnants of the Hittite Empire, which is just extensive tax regulations (laughs) and records. Just a bit more fun. (laughs) But a really amazing ancient source is a series of texts known as the Greek Magical Papyri, which are actually Egyptian, um, (laughs) in the final tradition of saying something's foreign to make it seem more exciting. Uh And these were created uh, sometime between the 2nd century BC and the 5th century AD. So there's a series of texts that were added to across that time. Well, colour me intrigued. Tell me more, tell me more. Well, for those who love the weird and slightly grotesque spells, often involving acts of violence perpetrated on small amphibious creatures, the papyri do not disappoint. (laughs) They're also, um, and I find this really charming, divided up a little bit like BBC Good Food recipes. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's easy and more effort. All right, well, well, okay, let's start easy then. Give me an easy one. What's an easy Okay, so if you want to get a certain woman at the bath, all you need to do is rub a tick from a dead dog on your privates. Mm. Now, i got to (laughs) say... That doesn't really appeal to me. (laughs) But, all right, maybe if that's easy mode, perhaps there'll be something a little bit more pleasant in the kind of more effort section. Uh, Well, (laughs) so for a spell which blows its own trumpet as the irresistible love spell of attraction, you need to use fish blood Uh to write a spell invoking love demons on the skin of an ass. I... I'm assuming the skin is no longer attached to the ass, although that is not made clear. Um, as you next have to wrap it up in vetch, the herb, and uh-huh. hide it in the mouth of, wait for it, a recently deceased dog. OK, I'm going to ask, what is the correlation between dead dogs and the flames of passion? Alas, lost to the swirling mists of time. We may never know. If anyone has any suggestions for us about that, we'd well, love to hear them. If I was going to take a guess, I'd think it would be because dogs are faithful. Right. So they're like your companion. So perhaps there's something about companionship and dogs and maybe something sacred about them in that regard. But I don't know, it's pretty macabre. I can can sort of see that. Mm. And I suppose, you know, if the dog's dead, it will keep the thing you want to hide in its mouth in its mouth. A living Uh, dog wouldn't. It would drop it and go and pick up something more interesting. Much more interesting. Yeah, indeed. So much more palatable is a beautiful wearable charm which doubles as a snazzy piece of jewellery. Oh, what does it look like? Like the one found in 1935 in Northumberland, which is a gold ring dating from Roman Britain, engraved in Greek with the words, the love charm of Polymius. Now, this seems a little bit more my speed. Yeah, a little bit more stylish and less to do with dead canines. And is there there anything more to it? Or does it just say, the love charm of Polymius? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) So you've really got to put a lot of trust in Polymius that he's given you a good charmed ring there. Oh, but did it belong to Polymius? I'm not sure. Do you think think Polymius himself wore it and it made him very alluring? Well, there's a certain amount of sense there. Because I like the idea that maybe there's been some metallurgy done, right? So the gold ring is actually imbued with some other Mm. things that are formed into a ring and then worn on the finger and then that's it. As long as you're wearing it, then Polymius is very hot, you know, (laughs) very saucy. Well, it's in a museum, so maybe we should go and try and have a look yeah. and uh, see if you can establish what it's been rubbed in. I like the idea that there's a naughty curator 
who, when they're going out to singles nights, just gets the keys out, (laughs) opens it up, slips on the ring of Polemius, and then is off down the disco, you know. (laughs) Presumably, if it's so good, he he or she would only have to do that once. Well, then there's the advantage, I suppose, if they don't want any commitments, then you just take the ring off, and the person's like, oh my God, you're hideous, get out of my flat! (laughs) Then you wander back to the museum, put it back in the display case, lock it up, there you go, back to work. That's a great story. (laughs) I think you should remember that idea. Okay, all right. (laughs) <laughs> so that's a bit nicer, isn't yeah. it? But, um, well, not, not seducing women with the use no, of a ring no, or that's, men, That's I a guess. nice. We don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> I mean, the idea of a, a love ring. Yeah, rather, wearable Rather charm. than some form of sticky viscera. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm afraid things went back to the sort of sticky viscera uh, theme in the Middle Ages. Uh, I've got to say, small animals really had a tough time in the past. Well, that's also linked to this concept of the chain of being, isn't it? I mean, we've mm. probably talked about it on the podcast at some point, but if not, widely held belief, the chain of being, that all of life was connected by effectively a long chain and the links of that chain had to stay in their place. So God was at the very top of the chain, inanimate matter like rocks and, and the earth and clay were at, the, were at the absolute base of the chain and then in between you had you know plants and insects and you know herbivore animals carnivore animals uh human beings and so on and so forth up to the angels mm. and then deities above so people didn't have an enormous respect for animals no, and things lower down the chain not. did they and little creatures must have been i think almost constantly hiding from magic practitioners <laughs> and lovelorn diyers because Animal components are such a common feature of magic and folk medicine, aren't they? Yeah, well, only the other day we were talking about impaling toads and stuff. <laughs> Always. Toads and frogs really get a, a bum deal they in do, magic. They do, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, here's one we could try, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, mixing crushed earthworms with periwinkles. Oh, sounds like a chutney. Which is, um, yeah, gross chutney. But it's supposed to boost affection between a couple. Uh, don't fancy that on your biscuits. <laughs> I don't think we need it yet, love. But if things go wrong, then maybe we'll we'll get the Watch earthworms. Out earthworms. And well, if you prefer, we could adopt the advice of the Secreti Medicinali, uh-huh. written by Italian physician Pietro Bairo in 1561, which suggests carrying a barrel stone to increase the love between a couple. Oh, well, that sounds that's quite nice. Yeah, that's or nice. Or we could wear a crow's heart. What? Less nice, yeah. um, but quite goth, quite quite like that, which will make us mutually supportive. <laughs> oh, well, I like that idea. Yeah, it's I quite mean, nice, isn't it? I feel like we're quite supportive of one another already, but maybe a crow's heart could be an extra little boost, you know? Yeah. Maybe there's a gear we're yet to find. Can you imagine the kind of brooch that could have a crow's heart fashioned into it? Yeah, I can imagine several designs already. I'll start sketching. You see? Not so crazy after all. <laughs> this one is my favourite Secreti Medicinali recipe, though. Take a pair of swallows born in August, okay. bake them alive until they're shrivelled, oh and then grind them into a fine powder. Oh. Why, you ask? So you get more delightful kissing. More delightful kissing? More delightful kissing. <laughs> well, it's August at the moment, so if anyone's looking to improve the quality of their kissing, I guess now is your chance. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say what you're supposed to do with the powder, though. I guess once you've got it, you're just like, and that's it. And that's it. I kiss now. More I kiss way better. <laughs> Between this and the ring of Polemius, I'm sorted. 
Well, you, you don't just have to, to stick to those two. Oh, no. Because as uh, Christianity and especially Catholicism became more widespread, it stands to reason that elements of Christian worship also started finding their ways into magic rituals. Sure. So like love spell scrolls being hidden under church altars Ooh. and holy candles and the host getting stolen and used in rituals to achieve the desired results. Oh, that sounds really I think it's fun. something to do with the body of Christ. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So this so love magic occupies this quite interesting space between the Christian and the pagan. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I think love is so universal, isn't it? As a desire, it doesn't really matter which culture you're from. There's going to be some kind of attempt to queer the pitch when it comes to love and, and make the person who doesn't fancy you fancy you. Yeah, basically. exactly. Prayer or sparrows. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Swallows. If it, if it involves interfering with the holy host, then I guess, you know, needs must. Fair game. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> A great example of this, actually, is Albertus Magnus, who was also known as St. Albert the Great. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think they were the same people. I mean, I've heard of Albertus Magnus. He appears in Frankenstein as like a minor mm. character that Victor's about like a like an alchemist and the philosopher i didn't realize he was a saint well he was both Ugh. he was a friar and later a bishop but he was also a scientist and a philosopher Religions. and the author of the decidedly witchy book of secrets of the virtues of herbs stones and certain beasts how do we not own this uh, I'm not sure we should definitely try and get our hands on a yeah, copy. Yeah, sure. So this guy was practising Christianity at a high enough level to get him canonised, but also dabbling in a variety of magical practices. Well, you wonder whether he was actually a very good priest or if he was just seducing archbishops and popes because he had love magic on his side. Do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, or I've got a meeting with the Pope, I'll just slip on the ring of believers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why don't you have a nibble on that, your holiness? Yeah, <laughs> you think I'm great now? Yeah, we'll, I will have a sainthood, thanks. <laughs> Seems quite incredible when you think of like plenty of witches or accused witches having been persecuted over the years for doing exactly the kinds of things that people like Albertus Magnus mm -hmm. and other people we've talked about on the podcast yeah, were like celebrated for yeah yeah but there's a definite shift to the gendering of the practice of magic uh -huh, okay. and especially love magic as female right so, so witches were portrayed for centuries <laughs> as women who were linked to the devil through sexuality yeah, yeah. and who used their powers to ensnare unsuspecting victims. Well, also, let's be very clear. If you lot hadn't eaten that apple in the Garden of Eden, <laughs> everything would be fine. <laughs> Such a ridiculous thing, isn't it? It is a ridiculous thing, but, Western but I think you're right. And it does link on. back to that concept of original sin. Yeah, it does. And um, knowledge and sort of the knowledge of nakedness and sex coming back to that one moment yeah. in a work of possibly fiction. <laughs> it is a stick with which womankind has been beaten and will continue to be beaten, sadly, often, literally, across history um, and long into the future, I fear. But, you yeah. know, things are changing for the better, I suppose. And uh, when this sort of start, this link started to be made, quite a lot was made of the drawing on feminine energy and the fear and taboo around menstruation, of sure, course. okay. Loads of the sex spells include menstrual blood, for example. Well, I guess that sort of has a basis due to pheromones being found in human bodily fluids yep. and you know pheromones do act as a stimulus for behavioral responses yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, that, yeah. that is quite likely as a, as a theory but it is worth adding that the image of ladies as the leading force in love magic is possibly just bad pr oh isn't it always <laughs> well so the magic scholar matthew dickey's research has concluded that the largest group practicing love magic historically was young men 
looking to attract women who are unattainable for whatever reason. The incels of their day. (laughs) So it's very, very interesting that literature and pamphlet writing has things going or giving the impression of things working in quite the opposite direction. Perhaps it's because the men were sneakily directing attention away from themselves so they could get back to crushing earthworms (laughs) to find girlfriends. (laughs) Let's talk about real practical applications, though. Okay, go on. So there's an old saying that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And another which says that to fascinate a woman, you must give her a piece of cheese. Yeah, famous internet meme, that one, yeah. While that probably refers to the fact that cooking for someone will likely raise you in their esteem, you could also use ingredients with aphrodisic properties to get your chosen one in the mood. So a little bit of culinary love magic. Go on, Eleanor. More details, please. Well, some are, some are actually scientifically backed and um, yeah. others are a bit more delightfully folkloric. Yes. So ginkgo, for example, does actually boost blood flow to the genitals. Does Yep. And chocolate, which was used by the Aztecs as a love ingredient, boosts serotonin and produces euphoric effects. I mean, I guess if you eat enough of it, it's going to produce a euphoric effect. I mean, as a lifelong chocolate connoisseur, I can confirm it produces euphoric effects. (laughs) Then we have this lovely Ugandan recipe for mixing herbs with the eggs of the grey-crowned crane. Crumbs, okay. Because it's a bird that mates for life, and eating the eggs are meant to increase affection and monogamy. Oh, well, that's rather sweet. Although I've always thought the fastest way to a man's heart is actually through the rib cage as long as you're traveling at enough speed <laughs> now am i right in thinking asparagus is also an aphrodisiac yes it is asparagus has been traditionally served on wedding nights okay um, although the ancient greeks also rated carrots to make people more desirable See, to each other i thought that was all about seeing in the dark like my night vision that i have i put all down to my constant eating of carrots i'm just mashing them into my face day and night i mean I actually think it might have been something to do with the shape. Okay. Yeah, I think that's why the Greeks uh, rated them for, oh, for that. I love that. Science, that is science. Yeah, yeah not, so, not so scientifically proven. But the seeing in the dark thing is absolutely accurate, though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Completely confirmed. For sure. Mm-hmm. Fact. Optometrist rated. Yeah. <laughs> Blueberries uh, get used in Finland to make a lapish love potion. Oh, really? And in Africa, the bark of the yahimba tree can be steeped and drunk as a tea, and that is supposedly an aphrodisiac too. Well, I mean, most of that sounds a little bit tastier and more appealing than dead dogs and crows' hearts. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> well, if you don't fancy uh, eating aphrodisiacs with your evening meal, something that's super interesting at the moment is actually neuroscientists are trying to develop something which I think definitely classes as a love potion. Oh yeah, the natural philosophers of today. The natural philosophers of today, the neuroscientists. Yeah, so they've managed to establish that when you fall in love with someone, a unique effect occurs in your brain chemistry. So oxytocin and vasopressin are released to kind of activate a dopamine rush. Yes. So you feel that joy. Um, So like a real effective love potion, which doesn't involve compromising any little animals, could actually exist by combining those chemicals. See, I find that terrifying. I find that a really scary idea that suddenly you just be able to synthetically make people fall in love with one another. I mean, you could synthetically reproduce the chemical reaction that takes place when people fall in love with each other. Uh, yeah. You, you probably couldn't make them like each other. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's even more of a minefield than unregulated AI, frankly. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I do too. 
So come St. John's Day, I'll be trying this instead. <laughs> okay, go on. Put a frog in a pot uh-huh. with small holes in it and place it in an anthill. <laughs> anthills again. All right. After the ants have reduced the frog to a skeleton, grind it with bat's blood and dried powdered flies. What? Shape it into pellets and add to the food of the person whose love you most desire. Okay. Yum yum. Setting myself a little reminder not to eat anything on or around St. John's Day. <laughs> I make no promises. <laughs> All right, Eleanor. Well, thank you. It's very interesting. Uh, what can we look forward to next time in our next Magic and Medicines episode? Next time, we're going to be looking at reversing the ill effects of magic, Ooh. otherwise known as what to do if you've been cursed. <laughs> Lovely. Very useful, actually. And in the meantime, if you'd like more bonus content, including ad-free episodes, text versions of our stories, exclusive episodes and film club episodes, as well as our monthly newsletter, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Three Ravens Podcast. And please also drop us a quick review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you have five minutes. They really do make a difference we're also keeping busy on social media at facebook.com forward slash three ravens podcast twitter at three ravens pod and instagram and indeed threads at three ravens podcast and you can send us emails folktales artwork at three ravens podcast at gmail.com we will be back next week with our main episode when we're off to the wilds of Westmoreland Ooh. and our second Three Ravens bestiary where we'll be wearing our ear defenders to protect against the woeful wailings of the banshee. <laughs> well, until next time then, while our love spells wriggled and jiggled that way, <laughs> we'll go this way. And remember, don't whistle till you're out of the woods. Our theme song is the traditional folk ballad Three Ravens performed by Ben Harbour and Eleanor Conlon and our logo is by Ollie James Dare. The Three Ravens podcast is a Rust and Stardust production produced by me, Martin Vaux. Thanks for listening. God sent every gentleman Such hounds, such hawks and such lean man With a down, dairy, 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 down, down Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.